Well, <clears throat> hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by Go Iowa Awesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by Ross Binder and Adam Jacoby once again after uh, what was, to quote Kirk Ferentz, well, I guess he called it an interesting call, not an interesting game, but an interesting game in Kinnick Stadium. The Hawkeyes, after beating Minnesota eight straight times, I believe it was, or was it nine? Eight. They drop uh, Floyd of Rosedale, and he is headed back to Minneapolis with the Gophers. I mean, let's start. I, I think you have to start with the the punt return and the uh, the call um, with uh, Cooper DeGene supposedly having an invalid fair catch. Adam, you got the article together on our site uh, about the officiating there, so I'll start with you, man. I, just initial thoughts. Where are you at right now? That one was really tough. And I'm not just saying this as a prisoner of the moment. I've been trying to be on this for years now. And and people who have followed me on Twitter probably know exactly where I'm going to go with this. I thought the referees did too much. And I think that that was not a helpful review. And part of what went into it is sort of what Kirk Ferentz was talking about after the game in that, you know, they talked to their officials pregame about, like, what's a fair catch, what's not going to be a fair catch, like pointing this and that. And so to have a game-breaking play like that, that everybody saw happen, and the review showed that he stayed in bounds. The review is going to show you that all 22 players that were on the field were competing the whole time. It wasn't anything where somebody got confused and thought the play was going to be blown dead. You know, it was, it was a play that happened. And to go back on video review and say that, you know, based on this interpretation of this signal, which was most certainly not, interpreted by anybody as a fair catch signal, not only not interpreted by the players, even though that's a big thing, but not interpreted by the referees, not interpreted by the coaches, not really anybody saying anything like, Hey, wait a second. Right. There, there was nobody calling attention to that. And according to Kirk Ferentz, the review was about whether or not the had stepped out and he hadn't. So there is a rule in the NCAA rulebook, or, or an interpretation of the rule, because the, the rulebook offers plenty of interpretations of what's already laid out, you know, lots of sample plays and, and what their rulings would be. And there is one that says that somebody who's, you know, waving off a rolling ball, that they're not allowed to go pick it up and then run with it. Okay, that's that's as close as we're probably going to get as an interpretation of that specific DeGene play in the rule book. All right. But again, not quite apples to apples on that one. Uh, the ball was very much still in play and not, you know, rolling to a stop by any stretch of the imagination. And it wasn't a, it wasn't necessarily a kill, kill sort of thing either. I like, he was moving both arms, but nobody, 
on that field interpreted that as Cooper's not going to return the ball. Uh, that That's not the way that we saw anybody react to that play in real time. And so to have that... On the field or in the stadium. On the field, exactly. Exactly. Everybody in that stadium was expecting, including the 11 guys playing for Minnesota, everybody was expecting DeGene to return that ball as soon as he got his hands on it. Everybody thought that was going to happen. And so for review to retroactively take that away. And as Kirk Ferentz mentioned on a day where there were six video reviews, I have been pounding the drum for years and years that the officials are doing too much. And exhibit one to me is how many video reviews take place that really don't need to take place. Right. For all the, like, they're changing so many timing rules and essentially taking plays off the board in college football because they want to shrink them into these TV windows. Well, okay, like, if that's your goal, great. But the real bloat, right, like, if you really want to condense some time, have the officials do less. Because I look at that play. I look what Cooper DeGene did on the field. And to stop the game for five minutes, just stop it cold and then say, well, based on this interpretation of the rule and this motion before he was even having the ball, it's actually not that the, the, the touchdown didn't actually happen. And uh, now um, Minnesota's leading again. That to me is officials doing too much, it doing way too much. And we see it way too often. And I, and this is a, drum that I would bang if the call had gone the other way because I, it's, it's again it's the same problem it's officials doing too much and I think it's bad for the sport personally so Ross what do you think <laughs> yeah I mean I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying and you know to your point about the number of video reviews and the, the length of time they all take uh, certainly noticeable when you're watching it on TV and the you know there must have been 15 to 20 minutes today taken up with you know all of those video reviews so that is a pretty significant amount of time uh you know as far as this particular play it's you know it's maybe according to the rule book you know by the most you know fine-toothed comb definition correct but it's it's sacrificing football for minutiae and just administrative nonsense and it's just it's ridiculous i mean it's you know if if, yeah i don't know i mean if it's a slippery slope in terms of if you want to do this you know there's so many other avenues you can go down that nobody wants you to go down you know nobody wants every single play a football game to be obsessively analyzed and scrutinized and slowed down to, you know, one one thousandth of a frame to see, oh, well, you know, actually his head was pointing at a 32 degree angle in that particular moment. So, hey, what you going to do? So it, it's, it, it's, you know, you're, you're trying for the spirit of being correct, but everything is, is getting lost in that. Sorry, Adam. And the one thing that I'll add to your point, because you're entirely correct, and I'll, I'll just throw this one out there too. 
if you're going to review that often, it should be obvious that the calls are improving the game. How often on Saturday did we see the game go to review and one, we didn't know how they were going to, you know, end up calling it. And two, it wasn't at all clear that they were making the correct calls. Carson Shire getting taken out for um, targeting on a play that you, you can't ask him to do anything different. Uh, the the Iowa diving catch in the fourth quarter where the ball was, I mean, it was on the ground, right? That, But it ends up being called a, a catch or it stands. And it non-catch for Minnesota that looked like a catch to everybody except for the officials. Right. Right. And and so this, this isn't about like, Oh, Iowa didn't get enough calls for it to be okay. No, like this is just officials inserting themselves into the game and then making calls that more often than not just confuse everybody. And you're grinding the game to a halt for that. It's, it's tough to, tough to figure out Ross you saw something uh, I else mean, too yeah I mean to that point NBC had you know everyone has a rules expert on the broadcast now the NBC rules expert his interpretation was different than what the actual video review decision ended up being almost every single time <laughs> in that game so it's like what 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 is the point of any of this like it, it's right. all just it, it's theater it's just nonsense it's a ref show that that's yes. what I said with the Carson Shire tackle. His this face mask hit his shoulder, and we're calling targeting because it was a hard hit. That hit ten years ago, ten years ago, five to ten years ago is football. Thirty years ago, it's oh, nice hit, <laughs> nothing more. And all of us were like, uh, there was a collective ooh in, in the press box, and that's all it should have been. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think this is our third or fourth podcast in a row where I've said this is a family friendly podcast. That's fucking ridiculous. Like, what are we doing out here? What are we doing? And uh, you, you have to say the same thing. Uh, truthfully, in my opinion, I was a little heat of the moment, upset when I put the tweet out about an investigation being launched, that was too much. I'll own that. I'll take that one on the chin, but it was genuinely one of the worst calls I've ever seen in my life. I I will say that. It was outside of the spirit of the rules. I would say because that rule only exists. So people don't, or so returners don't fake like they're, they're trying to, to, you know, do a kill call. And then, Right, like it, it and nobody thought that's what something. Cooper was doing. Nobody. Right. There there was no advantage being sought at that point. It, you know, he was he was gesturing, he was whatever, but nobody from Minnesota was laying up on that situation at that point. Because Not a it, because it was one. still competition. Right. Did and, you happen to see how many tackles he evaded on that on that part return? Uh, I don't think anybody I, I thought he was waving for a fair catch. No, no, no. He he evaded all the tackles. It, it was right. like I, I think he actually broke a tackle from PJ Fleck at one point. Like it was just <laughs> he's weaving through everything. That and, was reminiscent. Yeah, it, uh, sorry, Adam. That I, I was thinking this, and I would have said it, and probably posted the highlight, and I might just do this anyway. But that was reminiscent 
of the state championship, the 1A state championship run that everybody knows that was on his huddle his senior year. That's what it was. And we were robbed of it. I don't care. Like Minnesota fans, you can disagree all you want. I mean, Iowa State fans, Nebraska fans on Twitter. You can disagree all you want. And I tweeted this as well. Is That's harmful to the product. Yeah. It's football at the end of the day, college football, NFL football is a product that people consume because it's entertainment in America. And that hurts your product. Arguably one of the greatest plays of the season, probably one of the top plays of the last however many years in Iowa football. And it's taken away because BS letter of the law refs trying to do too much. Are you freaking kidding? Yeah, it's 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 ref theater, and that's that's not why people tune into these games, and and it's a, another reason why I'm like, have them do less. It, it's the the if there really is a problem with football games lasting too long, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's a, it's a TV issue. Don't make the games last, or like don't change the clock rules just have the people holding up the game for five minutes on end do it less like have them really think to themselves figure out some way one to speed those things up or have them consider is this really worth stopping the game for especially when the the calls that happen after that review lord only knows where they're going to go elliot i mean i you've already tripped the um the language filter on, on today's episode, but we even saw Kirk Ferentz after Shire got um, ejected. I mean, he, he said straight up that that was a chicken shit call and that I hard to argue, right? Like, and listen, I, I'm all for player safety. I, I, I'm all for taking headshots out of the game. What Shire did was not a headshot. And if this were soccer, it would it would maybe be a yellow card. Certainly not a red. Certainly not something you eject a kid for. And especially like looking at it after video review. And so you see him not go helmet to helmet. You see the kid being, the Minnesota kid being dragged down into that line of fire, which happens quite a bit, especially on kickoffs, right? It was a football play. And to knock a kid out of the game for that and that's not even by any stretch of the imagination the most controversial call of the day in fact it's borderline top five for most controversial call of the day it 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 feels like a real disservice to those 85 kids on both sidelines who are putting so much hard work effort blood sweat and tears into these games and and it to just say, oh, now it, we're we're really going to let the officials decide this one. That's that's not why people tune in. That's not what makes this sport any fun. And and I hope somebody in Chicago, or or Pittsburgh, as as Kirk Ferentz said, I hope somebody is like, hey, let's back off the product here, because it is entertainment. Let's let the players decide the games just a little bit more than we've been letting them. I hope somebody in Chicago comes to that conclusion. We'll see. And I'll tell you what, to the point of 
that being a controversial call, I made a note in my head. Oh, I got to ask Kirk about that post game, that, that Shire ejection. Make sure I'll talk about that because that should have been the most controversial call of the day. Yeah. It should have been. I mean, we were all at us in press row where you and I sit, Adam, we always talk throughout the game or we're always talking. We're bouncing things off each other. Oh, that's not uh, a, 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 a targeting call. Oh, there's a hold. Mm-hmm. Oh, X, Y, Z. We are always talking about stuff, whether we agree or not. Yeah. We all said, oh, that's not targeting. We all said, ooh, but that's just a good hit. That's just a good football hit. Yeah, and that should have been the most controversial call of the day. It should have been. Ross, I'm going to let you interject here. We've been talking a lot. <laughs> oh, keep going, keep going. I don't. Uh, <laughs> it's just just me saying I agree. So no need yeah. for that. And, and, and the Big Ten is not going to find us. So no, no. One thing I I will add as well, and and again, this is something that I tweeted is. As I've said many a times on this podcast, on other podcasts, I went to the same high school as Cooper. We weren't at the same age, nothing like that. His dad coached me in middle school basketball and middle school football. I Cooper was like in my periphery as a kid shooting hoops on the side when you know I was playing basketball. So I know his dad better than I know Cooper, but but Cooper and I, you know, have inter, you know had exchanges about being OABCIG alum here and there. Um I know for a fact that Cooper is taking this incredibly hard and that he's taking in his, in his head and in speech, taking full responsibility for this. And that sucks just from a human aspect that sucks because I mean, I've Cooper's been really fun to talk with you can tell he he doesn't love to be on camera doesn't love to be on a mic that's just just not just not him which is which is totally fine but we saw a different level of emotion from cooper today at the mic that was really tough that sucked like just to be plain honest 100 human that sucked I don't know, Ross. I, did you see his reaction on TV? Because I saw a clip of it on Twitter. Yeah, it was tough to watch him on the sideline when every when all that was happening with the you know they announced the the overture and everything, and he he looked you know shocked, devastated, uh, stunned. You know, any yeah, just completely couldn't believe it. I mean, nobody could believe it, but he, he him especially because you know he was it was his play, and you know essentially they're saying he did something wrong with that ridiculous, you know, hand signal or whatever, which is ludicrous. And yeah, so I, I feel terrible for him. And that if he, you know, is, is shouldering this, that's awful. And he, he shouldn't do that, but you know, that's, that's not the way athletes are wired. I understand that. So. And look, man, like I, I, I imagine we can all agree that Cooper <laughs> nor Tory Taylor we're going to win the Heisman this year. That's just like not something that anybody within the Iowa program is going to be considered for, especially with the way the offense operates. If the defense was this stout and the offense was good, maybe. Hard maybe. But what I tweeted, and sure, you can, maybe you can say that this is hyperbole, 
prisoner of the moment thing for me, but I stand by it having been removed, you know, a few hours removed from what happened. I don't think this is hyperbole when I say this. Cooper DeGene may go down as the greatest Hawkeye of the Kirk Ferentz era. And that would have been a capitalizing moment. That would have been a moment that you look back, you say he did the Michigan State punt return and that punt return in the same season within however many games. Nobody else can compete with that. Tim Dwight, maybe. But he was however long ago. That's a moment that we all turn back to and say, how can you argue with that? And now we can't turn back to it. Not only were we we robbed of that moment, but Cooper DeGene's legacy was robbed of that moment. Yeah, it, it feels awfully similar to, like, obviously apples and oranges on on so many different levels here at this point but it it felt not dissimilar to the uh, michigan uh louisville men's basketball championship i i want to say that was 2013 2012 2013 i was a sophomore in high school yeah uh and and the the block by um was it trey burke uh but I, i believe he was blocking russ smith at the uh at the hoop and it was a clean block, an amazing play, probably would have turned the game at, at, at a minimum, would have been a gold standard highlight for years and years to come. And the referee blew a, a essentially a, uh, an anticipatory whistle, called it a foul, even though re- um, you know replays show that it was clean, and basically took a legacy-defining play off the board. Now, basketball and football are different, obviously, and and that's a case where a little bit of camera oversight would have been, you know, more beneficial to, uh, you know, Michigan than than less. At the end of the day, though, this is about referees not making the right call and not having or, or, you know, having the opportunity to look at things on review and then making the call worse. And like you said, Robs Iowa of that legacy moment, robs Cooper of that legacy moment, robs those fans who I, you and I were there on the field when that happened. And that place went bonkers, as you can imagine. And Ross, I'm I'm sure it, it sounded amazing on TV too, right? Like there's there's no way that wouldn't have translated oh, or anything like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah, it was and, electric. And I hate it when the referees come back and say, oh, yeah, all that didn't happen. And and so that, like telling fans that something amazing that they just witnessed actually doesn't matter, actually doesn't count, didn't happen. Like you've said, it makes the sport worse. It makes the product worse. And it makes it less entertaining on so many levels. And I mean, gosh, all you have to do is look at any of our uh, replies on, on Twitter. And there's people more fired up about this than, I don't know, like half the good news that their family gets on any given day. And it's because it's so visceral that experience is so, 
it, it cheats them to such an extent that they've got to get it out somehow. So I get for, it. I really do. For so many people, being an Iowa Hawkeye fan is part of their identity. And when you mess with people's identity like that, ooh, wow. Get ready to <laughs> take out the flame because, I mean, we saw it down there. We were in the thick of it, Adam. I mean, oh, yeah. look, like I was talking with David Warrington from the KWWL. He and I both went to UNI. Um, he was a hell of a lot better at the sports school thing than I was. He took full advantage of everything that he got that he got. Now he's at KWWL right after college. But anyway, I was talking with him on the way up the tunnel to go to the presser. And he said regarding, you know, fans throwing water bottles and and beer cans and such on the field. I don't condone that, but I understand it. Adam, you and I were down there, and I said, as long as I don't get hit with anything, as long as I don't get wet, I under I fully understand that, and I was not surprised by it at all. I mean, the PA announcer said, please don't throw things on the field. Show good sportsmanship, and everybody went, boo. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Those days have gone, old man. <laughs> I also I also saw somebody I think they tried to throw it from the top deck and it hit a woman in the head. There was a water bottle like that's what that's what you don't want. You don't want. I mean, I saw things being thrown at players. That's really not cool. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. And and just one more thing on that. Um, Right next to where we were standing, there was a uh, uniformed uh, military member who was there with his kid. I think it was one of the people from the flyover because he had he had on like a flight suit or something like that. Kid had something there too, and the kid had to hide by one of those little like brick um, things on the corner of the stands so he wouldn't get hit. And this kid's like six, seven years old, maybe eight, but you know that elementary school age, and and that also, you know, it 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 also sort of underscores the fact that once you let go of that water bottle, you don't know who it's going to hit or the beer can or whatever it is you're throwing. So like, yeah, I get that anger. I get it a hundred percent, but you don't know who it's going to hit. And if you hit a kid over a bad call in a college football game, you know, maybe at some point back up the priorities, just a skosh. But like you said, like this is a whole part of a lot of people's identities and to for them to experience it getting messed with like that you know it's it's easy for people who are divorced from the situation uh, you know like people who are i don't know like in a pa booth <laughs> to say all right like that okay like when you're not the mad one easy to say that a little less you know, welcome when it is upsetting you that bad. But yeah, it's hopefully a situation like that doesn't happen too often for any number of reasons. Any number. We'll put it that way. Oh, um, with all of that said, we have to talk about the offense. <laughs> do so either of you, 
Uh, yeah, we're gonna end on a good note here, Adam. Yeah. Um, before I just want to check, do either of you have anything more to say on the whole Cooper debacle, the the call, the missed call, Ross? Not no, really. no, I don't think nothing. so. I, I was thinking about, you know, what Adam said about, you know, the reaction and how, you know, you have that immediate reaction to the touchdown, and then you know the officials come back and say, oh, actually, that didn't count, and you know, what the impact of that is. And, you know, I watch a lot of soccer and they have, you know, video review after every goal and the impact of that, of saying, you know, Oh, actually that goal you just saw and celebrated ah, didn't happen because of this tiny infraction, you know, three seconds ago in the buildup or whatever. And it, it does have this, you know, kind of jade, it makes you more jaded watching the game and watching the highlights because like, well, wait, did this really cool thing that I just saw, did it really count? Did it happen? Or is it going to be something where some technicality says it, you know, it's, it's lost. It was, it didn't really count anymore. So, and I don't, All you right. know, we don't want that, don't want that to happen to football. Yeah. And it, it's, I mean, we we're already seeing that with the way video re- review is used. So, you know, Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I Ross said I didn't has have anything spoken. <laughs> the one thing I actually will add to what Ross said, being that this is an entertainment product, that whole dynamic of did the really cool thing actually happen has also negatively affected the way that announcers call games too, right? Now, now if there's a buzzer beater, it's not a, oh, he hit it, or oh, she hit it. It's all like, oh, it went in, but oh, no, no, now they're going to have to go to review, and they're, you know that they're rule like, it's forcing announcers to step all over what would be great calls, which is also bad entertainment. <laughs> I think that's another reason why we should maybe let the officials do a little bit less and maybe start trusting our eyes just a little bit more. Anyway, now I'm done, Elliot. Now we can move on to the fun stuff. <laughs> yes. Uh, just to now I'll say one thing and then we'll wrap it up and then we'll move on to the fun stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I have to see what it is. I think. And I actually want to hear what you guys think of, of this, this, I don't want to call it a take, but this thought is it's, the bureaucratic BS of people at the top saying, Oh, nope. I I'm, I'm smarter than you. We're smarter than you. We saw this on, on replay. You're wrong. That sucks. And that makes people just have that added level, or at least it can be interpreted as such. It might, might not exactly be that, but it's it's taken this huge dopamine just oof, and then you just crash. It's like being drunk with your friends and having the night of your life and then not waking up and being hungover, but immediately just feeling like ass. And and like it's 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 to reiterate the point, it's the oh sorry. You're stupid for thinking that was fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's that's a that's a strong interpretation of that. But I understand how somebody could 
could get there. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe I'm thinking about it too much. I'm pulling a ref. I'm doing too much. <laughs> I I think I understand what you're saying, and I understand you know where that reaction could come from. I don't think that's a conscious thing that the officials are doing, but it is sort of a side effect of this process and of this you know desire to legislate things down to the smallest fraction and this obsession with getting everything right to the most minute degree. Uh, it. it that's one of the side effects that that happened with that i think so well the one piece of good news is all this has really led fans to trust referees a whole lot more than they did before (laughs) so great great way to go refs nice job i was ready to shake my head yes and then you went in a completely (laughs) different direction okay now to the offense i will i i wrote an article on 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 iowa.rivals.com uh, that you can check out and include some quotes from both Deacon Hill, Kirk Ferentz in there about a quarterback situation, I guess you could call it. Um, and you can check that out again on iowa.rivals.com. It's free. Anybody can read it. When I look at things like this, I, number one, after the first half hour of us talking about officiating, I don't, I don't blame referees for losses because there was that all happened in the final minute and 40 seconds of the game, minute and a half of the game. There was a whole hell of a lot of game before that three and three fourths quarters. I mean, literally, if the Iowa offense can put together one field goal drive the rest of the game, probably win that game. You know, it's, what is it? That's, it's 13 12. That's it. That's, that's what it. I'm saying. Yeah. And so, as someone that Ross and Adam, I'd like to think that I've, I've conveyed this to you guys, especially being my cohorts, bosses, technically. We work together. Colleagues. Let's say <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think that I take responsibility for myself. If I messed something up, if I did something wrong, like it's on me. I want to take responsibility. Yeah. They're yeah. just, well, thank you. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> um, didn't want to leave you hanging on that. One. <laughs> they're, <yeah. laughs> they're just, and I wanted, I wanted that. And I, I, to a degree, we got it from Deacon. He said the turnovers, those are on me. I got to take those on the chin. And I really appreciate that. When I get that stuff from people, that makes me so much more inclined to trust you. And that's what I want. And, and I think the entire fan base and people in the media have wanted to hear about the offense. To say, nope, it has to be better. We got to clean it up. We got to have accountability. We got to have self-accountability, which I think they say, the players say for sure. And 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 folks want to turn it back to this awful call, which I understand, man. I understand it. But 12 second half yards by the offense this is not at the feet of the officials. It's just not. I'm sorry. 
It kind of is, but it's just not. <laughs> you know, take the responsibility and freaking fix it, dude. Well, I will also point out, like you, you said that there was a whole lot of game before that return. You're right. There was also plenty of game left after that return got disallowed. Yeah. Too. Jesus. Iowa, because the yeah. ball ended up on Iowa's 46-yard line. And Iowa had, what, uh, 90 seconds to get, to get 20 yards to get into field goal range? Uh, Kirk said that they wanted 20 yards. Uh, he said that after the game. That was what they were aiming for. And the fact that Iowa not only couldn't do that, but went backwards seven yards before turning the ball over. I mean, Deacon can get up there and, and say he takes the responsibility as much as he wants. All right. But if he just goes back out there, you know, I, I guess it'll be two weeks from now and does the same thing in, in uh, Wrigley Field, you know, against a defense like Northwestern's, which is, uh, but, you know, he hasn't lit anybody else up at this point. Then, you know, what good does it do for him to say I take responsibility for that, right? If if it's if it's not going to lead to something substantially different. So yeah, there's there's a whole lot to unpack there. Yeah, I mean I I agree with you both. I mean I appreciate Deacon, you know, being honest and you know taking the blame. That's you know, we, we can certainly respect that. But Obviously, we all know the problems are much, 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 much deeper than Deacon, you know. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the issue here, the, I mean, the issue specific, specifically with Deacon is either A, the Iowa coaches can't effectively teach an offense, especially a passing offense, or they're not able to identify talent to run an offense. Either one of those things seems incredibly problematic if you're an offensive coach trying to develop an effective offense that will score points. And, but we just see it week after week. And at this point now it's going on season after season, you know, it's very similar problems again and again and again. It's like, this doesn't get fixed. And we just, we hear the same, you know, explanations and excuses and, but nothing really changes in the the outcome. the The output is is the same, and it's it's very you know pitiful, just minuscule. Just there's nothing there on offense. There's nothing. I mean, they had 70 yards on the first drive of the game, and over the next what 55 minutes of the game, they had 50 yards, something like that. I think it was. Negative three in the third quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they only ran eight plays, I think. So, you know, that's yep. what are you going to do? But it, it's, it's dumbfounding. I mean, I've never seen an offense this, that struggles to do anything successfully at, at this level. I mean, this looks like, you know, an overmatched like high school offense or something like maybe that's where you would see, you know, the, Oh, the big, you know, five, a school is playing. I don't know. For, let's imagine they're playing at, to a school for some reason i don't know but this this doesn't make sense anymore but it's it's that <laughs> level of of mismatch like i i don't under, i'm rambling now adam please help me <laughs> no i it's yeah i mean iowa well, does look overmatched about uh, against pretty much anyone they face and and it it's to me it's reminiscent of especially 
I'm, I'm, I'm really going Kirk Ferentz now, but it's, it's reminiscent of the games that you'd see 30, 40 years ago, back when it was 1A and 1AA, right? Like the FCS schools, it's, it's the same division, but, but back when it was 1AA, those teams were roadkill. And that's sort of what it looks like when I was playing another Power 5 defense. They, they look like a 1AA team. They don't look like an FCS team. They look like a 1AA team. And like you said, Ross, this isn't the first year it's been the case, but this does look like rock bottom for the offense. I think that's the exact words I used in our um, premium board live chat. And uh, if this isn't that, I don't know what is, because Iowa didn't do anything right up to and including taking care of the ball, right? For for all of the, like, well, you know, Kirk Ferentz does it conservatively, but he avoids the mistakes that way. Iowa was just minus three on uh, on turnovers. And all three I, of them were on the QB. I, I will so say, if he's not even taking care of the ball, what are we... Ross, yeah, I, was, I was just going to add... I was just going to add to that point, you know, he threw the one interception at the end of the game that you know, locked up the, the defeat. There were some other passes there that he was trying to throw into some extremely crowded windows with a lot of Minnesota defenders that he's been he doing that. Lucky that. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're right. It's not like this was the first game he's done that either. And like they didn't end up an in interception, so they don't, you know, count as turnovers, but it's, it's really bad decision-making that, you know, it finally got him at the end of the game, but you know, he had three official turnovers, but man, it... if you, I mean, if you want to go to PFF, I'm sure there's turnover, there's turnover worthy throws. Isn't that a statistic that they, they keep? Yeah. Yeah. I, he's, I mean, gotta be up there. And like, one thing I wanted to say on, on your last point, Ross, is them wanting doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That's literally the definition of insanity. Literally. Like, like, look it up right now. And don't look it up. I don't want to be called on that. I think I'm pretty sure it's the definition of insanity. I'm like 90% sure. But verbatim, this is a quote that Kirk said. I'm going to pull it up right now. It's in my in my article. He was talking about uh, the, the potential of putting Joe Labus in for Deacon Hill. He said, I don't think we're insane. I'll read the I'll read the full quote just to give you the full context. For shocker, he he started for 25 years. <laughs> for 25 years, we've watched guys in practice. We evaluate what they do in practice and then move forward. Certainly, game performance is a big part of it. If it's close, neck and neck, then you rotate guys in and take a look at them. I don't think we're insane. You go with what you see in practice, and you try to make the best decision at all positions, not just quarterback. Typically, there's a clear one and clear two. I'm not saying that in a demeaning way to the guys, but that's just what it is, and you go with it from there. I mean... So, go ahead. Go ahead, Ross. I was... You know, I'll take him at his word, but, you know, if that's the case... What are you teaching them in practice? I guess why is it? Why isn't that translating into the games? And if why is it so difficult for you know if if Labus isn't picking it up? Is it Labus or Labus? Labus. Labus. If Labus isn't picking it up, what's is there a disconnect in the coaching? I mean, I 
I just watched Utah beat USC tonight with a backup quarterback who was a walk-on before this year. And, you know, I, he seemed to pick up their offense pretty fast and, you know, he looked pretty good running it. And Iowa has guys who have been in the program for multiple years and apparently are ineffective at running the offense. So there's some sort of a disconnect there that is not getting resolved. Adam, did you have? Yeah, I <laughs> I don't disagree with a word of that. Um, I was uh, either it's a mechanical thing, or it is an X's and O's learning thing, or it is a culture thing. Perhaps I mean, honestly, I don't know. But the fact that Iowa's quarterbacks just haven't gotten better year to year under Brian Ferentz and, and really going back to probably Greg Davis. I mean, Ken O'Keefe doesn't get sort of the respect he deserves in terms of how he had done with um, quarterback development. But at least you could see progression there. And, you know, you see guys who've been in this program three years, four years sometimes, you know, with, with Petrus, and they get out there under center and they are unprepared for what is coming for them. They're throwing into non-existent windows. They're seeing pressure and not knowing how to handle it. Uh, their, their lines aren't doing them a whole lot of favors and neither are their receivers, but they're also not making on-time throws and not even really orchestrating the offense in any particular, right? They're, they're not making a ton of calls at the line. This isn't a Texas Tech thing where they are essentially the coach on the field. They're doing very, very little coaching on the field. Astonishingly little coaching, as near as we can tell. Right. And unless it's some shadow stuff going on, unseeable by our unwashed eyes. Okay. But you you just sort of have to wonder what all that time is being used on. And and how that disconnect that you described, Ross, how can it be this universal and this broad? Because usually these guys don't even look close. And it really looks like they are not in position to succeed on any given day, on any given rep half the time. And that has to be so dispiriting for them, for their receivers, and the rest of their offensive teammates. It has to be. And the defense. And yeah. that too. Well, I... The defense, <laughs> those guys, everybody that we talk to, they'll never admit it. And they, they say they like the pressure, and I think that you sort of have to, to, to be in that position, right? Like, on some level, I do take them at their word, and I do trust them that there isn't that sort of disconnect. But I do have to trust them, because if it were me, like, I was never good enough to hold anybody else's bad play against them, ever. <laughs> but... <laughs> I could see how somebody who was a whole lot better at me than football 
but then had to depend on me to do my job for the team to win the game, I could see how they would get tired of me real quick, real quick. I mean, Fortunately, I bet- my coach, well, my, my coach was smart enough to like not ever have me depended on in a game ever. <laughs> That's smart I mean, coaching. Yes. I mean, I bet the defense wouldn't object to just like, you know, a few less three and outs by the offense that would, you know. <laughs> I mean, like you got to love football really to be able to do that at, at that high a level to invest to that degree. But do you want to be on the field that much? <laughs> like, if it's not going to lead to winning, like one. And then two, what we're talking about here is guys being on the field. Like when you're on the field that much, it's you're so much more likely to get hurt, which is crazy because the offense is the side of the ball that has had all the injuries. Yeah. Ugh. Russ, the, um, I, the one thing that I'll point out, I think what might've happened in today's game is something exactly like you were describing, but in like a cursed monkey paw kind of way, because on all three of Iowa's turnovers, they happened on the third play or fewer of that drive. So they prevented three and outs. Dot, dot, dot. Touche. You have to be more specific with what you want here. The offense needs first downs. Oh, oh, oh well, we're, we're, we're out of too far. pause on that one. Sorry. Yeah. That was the last. Too far. You're asking for too much. And speaking of that development or lack thereof, I, you know, this is a small sample size for Deacon Hill, but in the Spencer Petrus experiment, he got worse, substantially worse over the time frame at Iowa. And same for Deacon Hill to this point. I mean, to a degree, I mean, it's up and down, small sample size, like I said. Man, it's not look like it doesn't look like in, in Cade's time in the Iowa offense, again, small sample size. Didn't exactly look like that you're off and in spring here and, and working with all the guys going to California exactly helped. And like when he's asked about going to the receivers, I, and again, I think this was overblown, but he goes, I'm just a quarterback. Like, and it, it, to a degree you could read into that and be like, and, 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 you know, he kind of seemed a little defeated when he said that I'm just a quarterback, you know, like uh, there's only so much I can do, but in regards to labus to, to revert back to that, he's more mobile than Deacon. Um, We, we have to, we have to consider that. I I saw a play on, on Twitter from the bowl game and uh, I was reminded of, his ability to scramble and, and go for yardage when there's nothing going on downfield. But granted in this, a uh, very small sample size against Kentucky, that bowl game, they won 21 zero one offensive touchdown. And it was, I don't know how much, how, how many of the Kentucky guys were second string defensively, but you were basically going against their second string offense in that game too. You have to take that performance with a grain of salt. But then again, how much worse can he be than Deacon Hill? This is bad. Uh, I mean, the story was that he was, you know, he's had a problem with turnovers in practice, and that's why we haven't seen him. But the 
so you know Deacon's the safe option because he doesn't turn the ball over, but that's kind of out the window when he's you know dropping the ball on strip sacks and you know those trays, to, three times to, to go for defenders right. I mean three turnovers, that's not protecting the ball anymore. So yeah, I, it, it it opens up a lot of questions. I think or it should. But. Yeah. What what I will say is Kirk did make a point of mentioning multiple times in the presser that Iowa had to do a better job of protecting the ball and that that performance wasn't acceptable. So, yes, that, that argument that was for, um, for Deacon Hill, you know, being the safer option feels a whole lot like you remember a few years ago when Nathan Peterman uh, was the Bills backup and everyone's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, he keeps getting a job because – he knows how to run the offense and then he would go and throw six interceptions. And, you know, if, if that's what running the offense looks like, there's, there's so many more questions than answers. And at some point you have to look at the production as the thing that matters more than anything else. And like you said, Elliot, Labus in that bowl game, at the very least, looked halfway competent, had some stats. You know, he was in, yeah, obviously neither team was playing at 100%, but okay, that's, <laughs> that, that doesn't mean that the, the performance didn't happen. And you have to wonder, at the very least, if you put Labus into that position, will the results be worse and when there's three turnovers you know and and hey look i it could also be the case that if you bench deacon hill already it's going to be detrimental to the rest of his career okay and i get that and and as a coach you don't want to bury a kid when there isn't a better option behind him and we, we've seen the fruits of that in how he handled the kids who were out there too early on the offensive line. Like they're, they're doing better now as a result. And it's good that he didn't, it's good that Ferentz didn't just bury them when they were in over their heads. And it really, it really does look like Deacon's in over his head right now. And a lot of that is the fact that this is his second year playing quarterback at the college level. And his first year was, you know, redshirting in Wisconsin and then finding out he wasn't going to be part of their vision going forward. He was he was ready to not be an FBS quarterback. And now here he is, and he has to run a Big Ten offense. And it looks like he's in over his head. And, you know, he's he's saying the right things about learning. He's saying the right things about responsibility. You know, I, I think maturity-wise, he's there. Uh, I, I, I think he's got the right mindset to succeed in the future. But I don't think he's prepared. And I don't think he's going to get prepared over the course of the year. Especially this being his first year in the program. And being that the expectations for how he's going to improve really have to be tempered at this point. You have to go back and say... Can putting Labus in there really not possibly be the best position for this team to succeed? 
the best chance to win? Can 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 Levis really diminish the Iowa offense's chance to succeed more than what Deacon Hill is doing? And if the answer is yes, good lord. <laughs> What does that say about him and what does it say about the coaching? But we've 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 come back to that station many times. Ross, you had something. Yeah, there's two things. This is Labus's third year in the program, right? He had a a season where he redshirted and then last year he was a redshirt freshman and this year he's a redshirt sophomore. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, three years, multiple springs, you know, bowl practices, et cetera. You know, he's been around, and if, if there's still that disconnect between him being able to effectively run the offense, you know, again, I think it comes back to what are you teaching the quarterbacks? How are you teaching them? And why is it obviously not working? You know, it, it, there's a clear problem in the output there. And then, you know, the second thing is, you know, this whole conversation, I think it all probably reminds all of us of we did this last year with Petrus and Padilla, and then we got Padilla and there were issues. And to me, it comes back to the same point again, is what it, does Iowa have a problem identifying quarterbacks or is the problem in teaching them, instructing them, developing them somewhere? There's gotta be a problem in one of those areas. It feels like for the problems that we're seeing. And I don't, well, I don't I, think it's the players. I don't think it's necessarily the identification. I think, there's talent within the quarterbacks, but there's there's a couple things on that. I think it, regarding the younger guys, because I know the younger guys a little bit better. The, the the names that a lot of folks probably don't know, and and Marco, like you know, maybe casuals don't know, but folks who follow recruiting definitely know Marco Linez, and then committed yet to sign James Reiser. I like Reiser a lot. Super mobile, has a cannon. That talent is there for sure. I like what I've seen from Marco Linez in the little bit that I did. I didn't cover the 2023 class as extensively as I had in 24, and now 25 is really where my expertise is really going to start to to come through. My expertise, God, that was such a douchey <laughs> line. But anyway, um, gotta own it. Right, yeah, right. Research. <laughs> Reeser's talent is definitely there. And there's a reason these other schools have continued to offer him, despite the fact that he is committed. Some bigger programs have gone to watch him throw. Linez, for God's sake, nobody call for him yet. He just got to the program. True freshman. You can tell he's not there size-wise. He's not ready. We saw him in the spring game. So I'm in August. He's not ready. And that's nothing against him at all. He's a true freshman. It's been at Iowa. He's not going to play quarterback. Like he's not, he's just not going to play. This is going to be a red shirt year. <laughs> I almost said a year for development after the entire conversation we just had. But Yikes. yeah, <laughs> for Reezer, and, and this is just going to be an ongoing conversation with how bad the offense is. You have to, if you're Reeser, he's a smart kid. He believes in Brian Ferentz. Conversations that he and I have had, he believes. What he told me the last time we spoke was, you know, you don't just forget how to coach. Which, 
fair enough. He believes in the program. He wants to be at Iowa, went on this uh, official recently, and he's recruited the Florida kids from what I know. I haven't talked to him in a while, but um, from what I can tell, he's not deterred by any of this. But at some point, man, there's got to be a moment where you go, is this really what's best for me? If I want to play in the NFL, if I want to be successful, if I want to win a bunch of games, if I want to throw for a bunch of yards, run for a bunch of yards, have a fun football career, college football career, because you only get one, do I want to spend it at Iowa? And again, this is going to be an ongoing conversation for every position other than offensive line and tight end. It just will yeah. be unless you're unless you're Caden Proctor, but the, too soon. I don't. I, sorry. Um, wow. But <laughs> I, I I will continue to push back on names like Nick Brooks because he's he's ready to be a hawk. Like that that's that's a different conversation. And again, he's an offensive lineman. And we I just said the same thing about tight ends. But when you've got offers, if you're if you're looking at a there like there's a reason that Iowa is not landing, well, these four five-star kids, that's not really been their MO. But why would you, as a four five-star player, look at a program that continues to be this inept on one of the three phases of the ball and say, I want to play there. I could see myself playing there. I'd love to be the national joke. Why would, like, like, if I'm sitting down with my parents, this is a legitimate conversation we're having. If I was 17 and didn't weigh 135 pounds and wasn't a cross-country runner that and was good at football, a lot of things would have had to have been different in my life for this conversation to happen with my parents. But if this was a conversation with my parents, out of love for me, we would have had that conversation. And out of just, tr- just being fully blunt, this is a conversation we would have had. I mean, I, like, I, I find it hard to believe that if other these other recruits who have committed or have, are considering Iowa aren't having that conversation. Well, and it, if that conversation and if the choice is about the football that you're going to play, right, if, if you're choosing a college based on the football and the style of football that you're going to play, yeah, it would be pretty bleak for Iowa. And a lot of what Kirk Ferentz sells and a lot of what, you know, the university has to offer is about sort of that, that longer stuff. I, I don't want to say that they're recruiting the parents, but they're not not recruiting the parents on, on a lot of this stuff. You know, culture, stability, um, you know, accountability, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. You know, it it plays with a certain culture of people, and you know that culture does include Phil Parker, and that culture does include Lavar Woods. So, and and you know, Lavar is also a parent of a recruit who is probably going to end up at Iowa too. Like, do you think Lavar Woods doesn't know that the offense isn't good, <laughs> but he's still if if anybody doesn't. No, <laughs> like if anybody <laughs> would be able to figure it out. It's it's the guy who's probably the odds-on favorite to be the next head coach, and yet, like Mason Woods is still being recruited by Iowa. 
right? So, yeah, I, I think at tight end, at tight end, on offense. Yeah, my point stands. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, but 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 you get what I mean, right? Like, there's the, it's a big big minus. This what this football product looks like on offense for recruits. There's no denying that. And Iowa has been able to lean on some very specific, very large pluses outside of that stylistic stuff in the past and and probably will continue to do so for as long as this regime or or even a Ferentz adjacent regime is there. Yeah. For now, Swarm is a very large part of that. Yes, I mean, absolutely, like, and, and that's not going to change. Yeah. And b- by the way, since we're speaking of offense, Jarriet Bowie, who is a true freshman, again, this is nothing against him. This is about the fact that he is a true freshman. Saw the field today, I think, for like one snap, a couple snaps maybe. I noticed on a couple snaps or one snap. Caleb Brown, once again, I don't believe he touched the field today. You got to wonder about what's going on in practice at that point. Or in film rooms. I I don't get it because whatever amount of money, like the, the he got an NIL deal, obviously, obviously, whatever amount of money he was paid, like where's the return on investment here, man? And I realize he's a he's he's a, he's a redshirt freshman. Yeah. He's got a few years, but dog. You can see the talent in the few reps he's run in front of us in warm-ups at Kids Day. What and like I I obviously you understand why he's not back there returning punts. It's because he got Cooper freaking Gene making insane plays. But like he doesn't touch the field at all with this offense without your top two tight ends. When you need to put the ball in a playmaker's hands, not not a single freaking snap. Actually, uh, Elliot, I, I need to um, correct the record here. Cooper Jean had one return for zero yards today, so not a playmaker. <laughs> Didn't make any plays. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, it's it's huh. that's they. It's because they had the wrong number three back there. Yeah. You're, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm over it. Do you guys have anything <laughs> to say about Caleb Brown or that topic at hand? You know, the offense. Like, I, I truthfully, I don't know if there's much more for us to say. As if we have reached Sunday morning here. It it is, it is technically Sunday morning. Yeah, I, all I'll add is, you do sort of have to wonder about when you see the the players who make their way up depth charts um, and when they're not corresponding very well with the, the most highly recruited players, you sort of wonder what it is that these players need to do to get ahead in practice and in, in sort of what standards are being upheld here. Because if, you know, if, if it gets to a point where walk-ons are consistently I don't know, returning kickoffs, for example, over scholarship players, then what really is the standard of success 
for returning kicks. What is it that gets those players there ahead of, I don't know, Ohio State caliber athletes like Caleb Brown? Like that's, that's, and that's, I don't mean that question rhetorically. I would love to know the answer to that question. Like, what is it that gets those guys onto the field ahead of the most athletic players? And I think that that would tell us a whole lot about how Iowa gets itself into these odd positions and personnel situations so often. Yeah. And and I like just about every return I've seen from Caden Weijin when he actually returns it. Sure. And they don't force him to, this is actually what he was doing. He was actually doing a fair catch. It wasn't none of this stuff, (laughs) but uh, it was Penn State. They wouldn't let him return. I, may, I don't know. I can't confirm that. But he he fair caught every single kick to him when the offense couldn't do jack squat. And I like I I have liked what I've seen from Weijin and in, in the little bit that we've been able to see see from him. But the point still stands. The point is is completely valid, and I I think the question is absolutely fair. What did you bring? You didn't like you didn't bring the guy in to sit. You just didn't in reference to Caleb Brown. So what's going on? And then like if he has any level of impatience, I think it's 100 percent justified. Does it also mean that like he also needs to be at the forefront of working hard and communicating and being attentive in 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 practice, in film, in whatever, you know, study meetings? But the guy has to see the field at some point, and it should be more than just an end around. Like, I had this conversation with somebody the other day. Is he has five more receiving yards, career receiving yards, than us three do? <laughs> That's, I mean, it's like it's a travesty is a very strong word but it's kind of a travesty. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, and, me. and, and those five came at Ohio State, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we all have I, the same amount of catches he does at Iowa. Yeah. I mean, travesty or not, it's a puzzle. I mean, like you said, it's you brought him in for a reason. Like, you you brought all these guys in in the offseason, too, because you, you saw what the offense was last year. You wanted to fix it. Well, now, unfortunately, you know, Cade's out, Eric's out. Uh, you still have Caleb Brown, still got Seth Anderson, and you know he certainly, you know, does get to run a lot of plays on offense, and they try to get him the ball, so that's not the same issue. But you know, you you made an effort in the off season to try and fix the offense with you know getting these guys through the portal, but you know where that there's still a disconnect there. There's still you know between getting them onto campus and into the program, and now getting them onto the field and into actually into the offense. Um, you know, obviously that's not happening. So yeah, a lot, just lots of questions there. Confusing, confusing, confusing. Say that about the offense, a lack of usage of weapons. You brought in the portal um, and well, one uh, officiating call today. Iowa's 12 to 10 loss to Minnesota. We'll wrap up. Well, this morning's hot cast here 
uh, with myself, Adam Jacoby, and Ross Binder of iowa.rivals.com and Go Iowa Awesome. If you are not a premium subscriber yet, you can do that at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. Adam mentioned that live chat that we have during games. You can interact with us there. You also get all the insider information from us on recruiting. I'll have a piece on Joey Van Wetzinga, 2025 three-star commit. Uh, I think he'll play center for the Hawkeyes. A damn near perfect fit, if I do say so myself. You can read more about that uh, uh, along with all of our other premium content if you become a subscriber today. Speaking of subscribing, do that to our YouTube channel right now. Just hit that subscribe button. Hit that like. Drop your thoughts. Drop your comments. We want to hear what you have to say. This is a safe space here on our YouTube channel to rant, to rave about all things Hawkeyes. So please do that. And wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of those apps, subscribe, leave a rate and review. All that stuff helps us out, and it makes us happy in a very dire time for Iowa fans. So for now, once again, I am your host and recruiting analyst at iowa.rivals.com, Elliot Clough, joined by Ross Binder and Adam Jacoby. We will see you next time.